It's 12.09, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, as Tracy was kind enough to mention. This is a big day here at my anniversary, 20 years. 20 years um, ago, we, we started the program. I've got some thoughts about that and the future of the show I'm going to share with you um, after the 2 o'clock news. So we'll talk about that then. First, Eric Bilstadt, before you leave, we were talking off the air. This this story out of Missouri, um, Table Rock Lake in Branson, Missouri, about the duck boat, it's almost unbelievable um, for people who have been following it. The it, a duck boat, you know, they, they have them up in the delts. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, you, you know, yeah. you, you ride the ducks, and there are these amphibious vehicles that also have wheels, so you can you can be on land, you can be on on water. A boat was carrying thirty one people um, out on this lake in Branson, Missouri, when this big storm blew through and essentially submerged the boat. Seventeen people died. Uh, ranging from a one-year-old baby to a, a 70-year-old. Um, 14 people, including the boat's captain, survived. But there, there's a number of questions, and, and I, I would start with the most significant one to me is, w- what was that boat doing on the lake in the first place? That's the first thing you think of when you see the video. I mean, it's treacherous. The waves are everywhere. There's boats rocking up and down on the dock, and then you have that thing out there just fighting the whole time. Well, and see, and here's the deal. I was wondering, is this the storm that just kind of came up out of nowhere, and then they got caught? And, and that doesn't appear to be the case. These tours take take an hour. It, the, the boat is on the water for about 30 minutes, but mm-hmm. also there, there's a part that it's it's on land. Um, there was a severe storm warning that was issued by the National Weather Service approximately 6 o'clock p.m. yesterday. This this boat was on the water 30 minutes later at mm-hmm. 6.30. I mean, which does raise, what what was it doing on the water when you know that there's, I mean, I, I Even understand. if you didn't know the warning, just look at the water. Right. I mean, just look out. It, 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 it looks like the ocean from those videos. Right. And it's just, I mean, but. But you would think, and, and the reports right now are saying that they, well, you know, they don't know if the the operators checked the storm. And you're right. You, you can look and see this rolling in. But who takes a boat like this out onto mm-hmm. a lake in this kind of weather? I mean, I have friends who have pontoon boats on, and this isn't a pontoon boat, but, but a, a boats for a number of the lakes around here. Mm-hmm. You don't take a pontoon boat out if there's a, a severe storm warning, not even, hey, we've got a weather watch, pay attention. There was a warning right. that was issued 30 minutes before they take these people out on that boat. They don't even know about the life jackets. They're still looking into that, whether the life jackets were worn or if they were just stored on board somewhere, because you have to have life jackets on these types of watercrafts. Mm. So lots of questions. I know one of the, I believe the captain survived, yep. but the driver drowned. So they at least two crew members were on board. One of them did not survive. You know, and one of the, I mean, there's no, there's no silver lining to the story, no. but a number of the pictures are coming from another boat that was out in, in the water that was right. watching this whole thing happen. And people, I mean, they, they tried to get in and they tried to rescue folks, but there just wasn't anything, there wasn't anything you can do. But I mean, that's, I, I, I just, you, you have to look at this. And I think the first question is, why, why was that boat on the water? What, what were those people thinking? And the answer is it shouldn't have been on the, on the water. And don't assume someone else knows. You know what? If, if you're wondering whether or not you should get on a boat and it looks like that outside, don't get on the boat, even if the captain says it's fine. Well, that's... I, I mean, it just... I, I can't get over how treacherous the right. conditions looked to go out in that... Oh, well, that's the... I mean, right, that, that... And again, you, you don't... You don't want to victimize the victims. No, of course not. What I'm about to say, I don't mean to do that at all, but I'm, I'm trying to think, okay, if you were there with your family 
and it's it's five thirty at night, and you're at this lake, and you're considering, Eric, you know, what am I going to do? Am I, you know, and you you are watching the the weather, and you're aware that there's a storm warning out there. You're not going to get on that boat no, in the first place. No. Um, and again, I don't mean to victimize victims. That's not the point, but that that's the overriding question. I think in the the following days, it's not going to be you know, what happened or why did it happen? It's why was that boat out there in the first place? So what a tragedy, though. Um, Just what a tragedy. All right. We have a lot of ground to cover on today's program, including some fun stuff. Matter of fact, I sent out a tweet. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. And there's a story we're going to talk about in the one o'clock hour of the program. The millennials. My producer, Gru, is a millennial. He hates to be lumped in with other millennials. It is either one of the most offensive or one of the most brilliant promotions ever. Um, a minor league baseball team is having a millennial night featuring, well, certain characteristics that they think are attributable to all millennials. We are going to discuss whether this is a brilliant promotion or whether it is starkly unfair. That's going to be coming up in the one o'clock hour of the program. Before we, we start with the caller-driven topic, so I do want to mention a story which is breaking. And I want to offer you just a different perspective on this. I understand that there are people who hate President Trump, who hate, hate, hate President Trump. And a lot of those people are in the mainstream media. And I understand that there are people who don't care about what you got to bring down Donald Trump. Whatever it takes to bring down Donald Trump, that is fine. We are part of the resistance. We have to bring him down. I get that. I understand it. At the same time, there are there are things that should bother everybody. And one of the things that disturbs me from time to time is the people who would normally be offended or appalled at certain things tend to look the other way because of their hatred for Donald Trump. So here is the story. Michael Cohen, who was the president's lawyer, one of many lawyers that the president had, but he was a lawyer for Donald Trump before Donald Trump became the president. Um, Cohen is the guy now under investigation for a variety of shady dealings. He's the guy that is under investigation for the payoffs to uh, the porn star Stormy Daniels. Okay, that, that's Michael Cohen. He's under investigation, and now he's the one that uh, people think, well, maybe he's going to flip and provide testimony on, on Donald Trump. His law offices and other offices were searched by federal agents. And a wide variety of information was taken. Now, here's the the headline. This is a breaking story. New York Times has it first. Michael Cohen. Now, that's the lawyer for Donald Trump. Secretly taped Trump discussing payment to Playboy model. This isn't Stormy Daniels. This is the former Playboy model who said she had a long-term affair with uh, Trump. Here's the story. President Trump's longtime lawyer, Michael Cohen, secretly, secretly recorded a conversation with Mr. Trump two months before the presidential election in which they discussed payments to a former Playboy model who said she had an affair with Mr. Trump, according to lawyers and others familiar with the recording. The FBI seized the recording this year during a raid on Mr. Cohen's office. The Justice Department is investigating Mr. Cohen's involvement in paying women to tamp down embarrassing stories about Mr. Trump ahead of the 2016 election. Prosecutors want to know whether that violated federal campaign finance laws and if any conversation with Mr. Trump about those payments would be of keen interest to them. The recording's existence further draws Mr. Trump into a question about tactics he and his associates use to keep aspects of his personal and business life secret, and it highlights the potential legal danger 
that Mr. Cohen represents to Mr. Trump. Once the keeper of many of Mr. Trump's secrets, Mr. Cohen is now seen as increasingly willing to consider cooperating with prosecutors. Rudolph Giuliani, Mr. Trump's personal lawyer, confirmed in a telephone conversation on Friday that Mr. Trump had discussed the payments with Mr. Cohen on the tape, but said the payment was ultimately never made. He said the recording was less than two minutes and demonstrated the president had done nothing wrong. All right, then the story goes on. I don't know what's on the recording. All right, I, I, I don't know whether it demonstrates that there's no wrongdoing or what. But but, but here's, I want to start with the basic premise. Attorney-client privilege is one of the cornerstones of the American judicial system. The idea that you can talk to your attorney and the things with a couple limited exceptions that you say to your attorney are going to be privileged. That is, that they're not going to be disclosed. That's that's how this works, and that's how the legal system is based. The fact that the attorney, Michael Cohen, allegedly tape-recorded a conversation with his client without the client's notice tells you what a sleaze this guy is, and it tells you how... From the perspective of legal ethics, that the fact that, you know, Michael Cohn has absolutely none. And, and again, I don't know what's on the tape, but, but the idea that an attorney would tape record a conversation with his client or her client and then leave this around. Then, of course, the second question becomes, all right, are you invading as the federal government? Are you invading people's attorney client privilege? Um, as a general rule, before you can, for example, put a wiretap on, on an attorney, you need, well, it, it's almost never done because by its nature, you are going to be listening in on privileged conversations. I don't know what's on this tape. And, and again, Rudy Giuliani says it's, it's ends up ultimately being exculpatory. I don't know what's on the tape, but the idea that Cohn would record it and now that federal agents would seize it, and the fact that now everybody's talking about this, somebody leaks it to the media, all about a conversation which was probably a privileged conversation, should be troubling to everybody, including the people who just hate Donald Trump and want to see Donald Trump brought down. All right, what, what does this mean moving forward? If you call up your attorney and you have a conversation with him or her about something, expecting that it's not going to be disclosed, and you find out later on that your attorney has recorded it and it's been seized in some sort of investigation. What does that do for attorney-client privilege moving on? And that's that's one of the scary things. All right, when we come back, huge controversy in Madison over whether police officers belong in schools. We are going to wade in. Stick around. It's 1220. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, um, Madison. The Madison High Schools have, for a number of years, had police officers. They call them, they call them EROs, Education Resource Officers, but they are, they are police officers. And they have been embedded in Madison's four main high schools. So you've got a police officer on scene in the high school. You have a number of community activists in Madison who have decided they want the police out of the high schools. The, uh, let me see, one, here, here's one. I'm looking at the story out of the Madison papers. 
you might say, well, why do they want the police out of the high schools? Well, here's what Bianca Gomez, a member of Freedom Inc., an activist organization focused on issues that affect minority populations. Here's why she wants police officers out of the schools. Quote, ain't no amount of training, ain't no amount of special certificates is going to matter when it comes to black and brown kids because police officers see us as thugs and criminals. All right. Others suggest that the presence of police officers inside the school negatively affects students of color and feeds into the school-to-prison pipeline. This is what passes for uber-liberal thought in Madison. So what happens the other night is they're having a hearing. The school board is having a hearing uh, on this issue. And you have a former member of the school board, one of the handful of a former Dane County supervisor named David Blasco, who is one of the handful of conservatives. He stands up and he says, hey, I'm in favor of of keeping these school-based police officers. And the crowd, which is primarily these left-wing loony activists, turn on him and start screaming, oh, and and, and it, it becomes... Well, an almost physical sort of situation. The crowd is so incensed that somebody would even suggest that you keep police officers in the high schools, that they are ready to physically assault this guy who is urging that. The irony of this is rich. So the alternative, some of the people are saying, well, look, instead of taking the police, keeping police officers in the school, what we should do is create like a, a, like a 20 person police squad that is kind of on call um, to have regular contact with school officials and respond to incidents when requested, but not be in the building, to which both the police chief and the mayor say, this this is a non-starter. I mean, we, we don't have enough police officers to have them on call. You know, what, what we're offering to do, and we're is what we've done before, we'll have a police officer in the school. Otherwise, it's just nothing like nothing else is going to happen. It's just not practical to which, again, when this comes out, the the group of of people who are at this this committee meeting the other night, they start cheering, jeering and heckling and blocking people from recording the speakers on their cell phones. Right. And again, the argument is having cops in the schools negatively affects them. And that's what some of these loudmouth community activists, and yes, that's what I said, are urging. But let's tee this up. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The idea that in, in, in America, even in Dane County and even in Madison, the idea that there are people who still think that the police are the enemy and that police need to be taken from public high schools is, to me, shameful. I actually think, the for everybody who argues this increases the school-to-prison pipeline and the police hate people of color, I think what happens by embedding police officers in schools is completely the opposite. First of all, it gives people who are in the high schools a day-to-day contact with police officers and gives them a chance to see that police officers are human. You get to know somebody on a more personal basis as opposed to when your only contact is you're stopped when you're running from the police or whatever. 
I think on so many levels, including a school safety perspective, it's a good thing. And I, quite candidly, I think what Madison should be doing is figuring out a way to expand this, let's embed the police beyond just the high schools and get them into the middle schools. But let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In Madison, there is at least a group of activists. They are loud. They are vocal. They are militant, demanding that the cops be out of the schools. Do you buy into this? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. I don't accept it for a minute. This shows how crazy some people have gotten in the People's Republic of Madison. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Dave and Racine. Dave, good afternoon. Good morning, afternoon. Uh, just a thought that, you know, these uh, anarchist activists, community activists, I think by wanting the police out of the schools is to produce disorder, anarchy, because, you know, um, as Nietzsche said, from uh, anarchy comes order. Disorder comes order. Well, they, no, maybe I'm, that's the kind of thing that they want. First of all, Dave, kudos. You're the first guy to drop Nietzsche on me today. And so that that's the Well, I, I mean, honestly, I, I think there is an element to this. You have some people, you know, we talk about Walker derangement syndrome or Trump derangement syndrome. There are some people who have police derangement syndrome, and they, they exhibit it in the most bizarre sort of ways. It is a good thing to have cops in schools. You have to be way down through the looking glass to believe that it is not. And yet you have this group of, again, anarchists that are out there screaming that the police are the enemy. Well, let the police not go into some of these high-crime neighborhoods out in Madison and see how well you like it. The cops belong in the schools, period. It's 1237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, 10 days ago. Boy, I mean, 10 days ago... You had the explosion in Sun Prairie after the contractor was drilling, stuck, struck a gas line. Um, you had the explosion, which injured a number of people and killed one volunteer firefighter. The authorities are still investigating and trying to decide whether or not the contractor is criminally responsible. Let's review what we know now. And there's actually a very, very good story in the Journal Sentinel summarizing what happened. The contractor that cut into a four-inch pipe, and what happened was you had this contracting company that was um, drilling. Well, let's go back to the basics. The contractor that cut into a four-inch pipe carrying natural gas underneath downtown Sun Prairie just before the explosion leveled a city block was not registered to do business in Wisconsin, according to state records. That's the Journal Sentinel. Um, Michigan-based VC Tech, Inc., was hired by Kansas-based Bear Communications to help install new fiber optic cables in Sun Prairie. The job was supposed to deploy a drilling process known as directional boring, which lays new cable lines underground without digging trenches, according to the work permit obtained by Bear Communications. The company... Um, that was actually doing the drilling, though, is not registered to do business in Wisconsin. Um, it isn't clear yet whether the company needed to be registered to do work as a subcontractor. Wisconsin law requires businesses to register with the state in most cases, but there are some exceptions. State officials don't police whether individual businesses are required to register. So it, it's unclear whether the subcontractor had to register or not, but but they didn't. All right. Um, what happened, and I think people know this by now, is that they were doing the construction work and they hit the gas line. 
And they knew, you know, the authorities knew that it was bad at the time. According to records obtained by the local newspaper, two companies sought permits to work on July 10th in the area of the explosion. TDS Telecom and Bear Communications, TDS said we didn't have anything to do with this. Um, it appears that the contractor, and maybe they had to register, maybe they didn't, but they were doing this directional bore drilling and they ended up hitting the natural gas line. Police and utility officials have reputed, repeatedly refused to say whether the natural gas line's location was identified for workers before drilling began. State law requires workers and homeowners to call a state hotline before digging underground to notify utility owners of the planned job, and they will come out. That's Digger's Hotline and mark the locations. So it, it's unclear right now whether or not the lines, whether Digger's Hotline had been called or not. Uh, my guess is probably not, but that's just, a, again, my guess. But regardless of whether or not they had been called, somebody hit the gas line and you had this explosion. And it's had the terrible consequence of somebody dying and, and you know massive destruction in that city block. Now authorities are wrestling with the question of, do you bring criminal charges against the company that was doing the drilling or the company that hired the company that was doing the drilling? Or was this just an unfortunate mistake that while there will be civil lawsuits, I mean, you know that there's going to be civil lawsuits against pretty much everybody involved, don't rise to the level of criminal conduct. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does this strike you, based on what we know thus far, as a criminal case? That is a matter where you go in and you charge somebody with essentially negligent homicide or something like that. The argument that the conduct was so reckless and so dangerous that they should have anticipated that something like this would happen. Or is this just an unfortunate thing that happens from time to time? Because I appreciate that there's all sorts of drilling that goes on, the digging that goes on on a regular basis. And most of the times it doesn't result in lines getting hit. But the truth of the matter is... You know, you will have from time to time, you'll have power lines that are hit. You will have utility lines that are hit. And thankfully, they almost never result in an explosion like this. But this does happen on an occasional basis. When this happens, is it a criminal matter or is it just the digging company screwed up? 414-799-1620. Does the criminal justice system need to be involved in this? I will share you my thought. I will share with you my thoughts in just a moment. We'll discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Somebody lost their life. That is a terrible thing. A number of people were injured. This was a catastrophic, catastrophic event. The city block is, is essentially destroyed. There clearly is liability. But was it a crime? And do criminal charges need to be brought? Do you bring them against the company? Do you bring them against the guy that was doing the drilling? If so, who needs to be held accountable criminally? 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. 1242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, 10 days ago, you have that horrible explosion. 12 people injured. One guy loses his life. It appears... That the, the company that was doing the directional digging to install these fiber, op, fiber optic lines appears that they might not have been registered with the state, unclear whether they need to or not. 
also unclear as to whether they call Diggers Hotline or not. Does that make a difference? Is this a criminal matter? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Jeff in Waukesha. Hi, Jeff. Hey, how are you doing this afternoon? Good. What do you think? Well, I, I think if there was any gross negligence there, and there's a number of places where that could have happened, if these people that were working on it were not trained properly, uh, that would be negligence where I would think it would be criminal. If the equipment they were using was not up to specification or was not up to par or had known defects in it, you know, then I guess it would be criminal. Uh, again, like you had mentioned, diggers, if they hadn't called diggers or there was some gross negligence in you know, investigating it or, or knowing that that pipe was there and they still went into that thing, then I think, yeah, then you got a criminal case. But if they did all of that, everything was up to snuff, and it just happened, you know, mm-hmm. it was a human mistake, it was an error, then I don't think it's criminal. Because, I mean, because one of the tough things, now obviously the result here was terrible, but as I was saying earlier, you do have contractors who often end up hitting different lines when they're digging underground. You know, they hit the utility lines or whatever. Thankfully, it almost never results in these kind of horrible things, but it, it does happen. So I guess the question becomes, is it criminal all the time? Let me ask you this, Jeff, because one of the things that you mentioned was the, the diggers hotline thing. Right. If they didn't call diggers hotline, let, let's say that everything else was fine, but they didn't call diggers hotline. They didn't have this mark. They were just going ahead and digging. Do you think that in and of itself would be the basis for criminal charges? I would think so. I mean, that's something that a contractor doing that type of work should know. I mean, that is something that should be boilerplate. If you're digging a hole in the ground, Mm -hmm. you want to find out what's underneath there before you start putting this, you know, shovel into the ground. (laughs) So, yeah, I would I would say that that would be criminal. Okay. No, thanks for calling. And and I ask this because I don't know the answer one way or the other, whether they did or not. And I agree with you. You're not going to be able to make a firm decision until you know those facts. But most of my instincts tell me this probably isn't isn't criminal. It doesn't rise to that level of the type of negligence you would need to make a criminal case. But for one thing for people to consider is, all right, if you don't call Digger's hotline, and again, this, this was a contractor who was, you know, drilling in the street, but is that now going to be the standard? If you, if you're working in your backyard and you don't call Digger's hotline and you, you know, end up drilling down and hitting a utility line, or hitting a water main or, or whatever. It, yes, it's negligence. Yes, you need to be held accountable. But is that going to be something that you should be, you or your company is subjected to criminal charges? That's where I think this becomes, you know, really interesting. Let's talk to Mike in Burlington. Hi, Mike. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. I believe that it, uh, that it is criminal okay. uh, for, for a company. Uh, you know, I can understand being out in the country and, you know, things get a little bit softer out there, but if you're working in a city, uh, before you even stick a shovel in the ground, you should know where the water and the sewer and the electricity and the phone, where every single thing is. Mm-hmm. And, and, to, and to go ahead with that project not knowing, uh, it's, 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 it's criminal. Okay, it's well, criminal. You, well, you're assuming that they didn't know as opposed to this being mismarked or something. Now, if, if, this, if they had called Digger's Hotline and they have been told it's all clear, that would be a different story, but you're right. assuming Those that are the they, facts right. we really don't know, right. right? Right, right. Would you apply the same standard to any contractor that's operating? For example, you know, down here in Milwaukee, when they were building the streetcar line, there were at least three instances that I can think of, and probably a lot more, but I can distinctly remember three where contractors digging under the streets 
um, hit electric lines or, you know, other other things. And I think there wasn't an explosion. There wasn't people that lost their lives, but they, they hit those things. Would, would you say that behavior was also criminal by not knowing what's underneath the ground when you're digging? Well, I think there, uh, when you have loss of life involved, that, okay. it, that, it, uh, that it really turns into something different. Okay. So that, that, that's the key in your mind. It would be the fact that you had the loss of life that resulted and, and the injuries to people that resulted from this. Correct. Got it. Okay. If the same facts had occurred, they had hit the natural gas line, but they, there hadn't been the explosion, then you would say it's no harm, no foul. Then, you know, fines would be in order and uh, right. you know, okay. things like that. Right. Okay. Thanks for calling. Now, and, th- this is, and look, there's, there, there's no question, at least in my mind, there, there's no question there's got to be accountability here on, on some different level. And, and my sense is that the contractor screwed up. I, I just, that, that's, that's going to be my sense. They, now, it could be that they came out and, and these things were marked. My guess is that's not what's going to show, but it, but that could be the case. Uh, but you know, you do. There's no question. You have to be careful because you know when you're dealing with stuff that's underground, utility lines move. A lot of the stuff you don't know for sure, so you have to be careful with this. Utility lines do, as I said, get hit all the time. Most times, it doesn't result in something exploding. Thank God. Bob in Hartford. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, there's there's so many factors that could come into play with that. Well, you know, Digger's hotline always isn't 100%. Mm-hmm. The guy that marked it could have marked it wrong. But the biggest factor I would say that would make it criminal is if you had um, the operator of the equipment is used is under the influence or right. something like that. Otherwise, right. I mean, I'm a contractor myself, and accidents do happen. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, you know something is supposed to be there, and you're doing, you know, taking out precautions, and mistakes, you know, things do go wrong. But what, I said the key thing, you know, go right. ahead. What if, okay, let, let's say as a contractor, you're going to be doing excavating work for the sake of argument. So you know you're going to be okay. digging down, and okay. you don't call Digger's Hotline in the first place. Because I agree with you, stuff can be mismarked. If Digger's Hotline has mismarked it, and you're operating around that and you hit something, I, I think from the contractor's perspective, you say, well, what could I do? I had it marked. What if they didn't call Digger's Hotline in the first place? Would that change your thinking a little? That that would change my thinking a little bit because that is something that is it's mandatory to do. You right. don't take you are negligent if you don't fall to your last You're negligent, right? Like leaps and bounds, right? No, thanks. Well, see, and, that, and that's I guess that's that's I think that's if I were analyzing this as a prosecutor, that's the first thing that I want to know. I want to know what they did before they started digging. Did they try to figure out where the utility lines are? If they had called Digger's Hotline and they had gone out and, and the utility companies had marked the lines or told them where they were, and and then they went ahead and dug, relying on that information, well, then I don't think there's any way it's a criminal case. It, it's an accident that that happens. And I don't know that I would necessarily consider that the utility the, the utility clubs might the utility companies might have been in error if they marked it where it gets dicey. And to me, as a prosecutor or a covering lawyer, that's the first thing I want to know. I want to know: Did you check what was below the ground before you started digging? Now, does that mean that I think every time somebody hits a line that it's automatically going to be criminal? And the answer to that is no. But it's it's kind of like saying. Well, you know, there's there's a difference between running a red light and running a red light and hitting a pedestrian that's in the crosswalk. You know, there are consequences for when bad things happen, and this is about as bad a thing that can happen. 
my inclination and my guess is criminal charges are going to be very, very difficult to bring. But if if they didn't check it out, if they didn't do their homework, if they didn't do the required research before they started digging, well, then then the police and the prosecutors, I think, have something to think about. We should know relatively soon. It's 1253. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One ten, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, our breaking news is um, former state majority leader, state senate majority leader Mike Ellis passes away mm-hmm. at the age of seventy-seven. It it hardly seems like he left office in two thousand fifteen. It seems it seems longer ago than that, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, right. You're right. Do you? I mean, you, you have, I'm sure you, you dealt with him a number of times. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. You know what? One of the, the most fascinating uh, stories I did with Senator Ellis was when the Brewers were sold, he argued that everyone in the county, everyone in the surrounding counties should get a piece of the pie since we were all helping to pay for the stadium. And he had this whole big plan on how we were all going to get some money back because of the sale of the Brewers. It didn't work out that way. <laughs> right. But, I, I mean, that's the type of guy that he was. He would come up with this type of stuff and say, hey, you know, taxpayers this, this is what we deserve, blah, blah, blah. And- well, Mike Ellis was the consummate deal maker. But before Donald Trump and Art of the Deal, Mike Ellis was the classic consummate Mad- Madison insider deal maker. Um, and then he was, he was very conservative. But he was also pragmatic. And and back, it was a different time then. But it, it was a time when, there was a period of time where sometimes the Republicans would control the state Senate, sometimes the Democrats would. would and if you wanted to get stuff done, you, you had to make deals. And, and he was great at, at doing that. I mean, he was the consummate deal maker. And he reached a certain point, because he'd been in politics forever. I mean, it was 40-some years. He was first elected to the Assembly, I think, in 1970, and then the state Senate in 1982. There was a point in time where I think he just... And and I he just didn't care anymore. By that I mean not that he didn't care about his constituents and his job. He just didn't care what people thought, you know. And and he just it was I think it was this kind of freeing moment where he just said what he thought. And we would grew um you know you you missed having to deal with Mike Ellis because we would be talking about issues from time to time, and all of a sudden our our studio line would ring, and it would be Mike Ellis who was hacked off at something I said or. Sometimes was agreeing with something I said. It just didn't matter. And, and he just wanted to, to talk. And there, there were some times when you'd have these politicians on, and you know they're kind of like holding back. Uh-uh. With, with Ellis, it was just you get him started, and he's he's just going for it. It was just a just a great interview. Um, he was a just he was a throwback politician. You don't see poli- you're not here. You just don't see politicians like that too much anymore. No, not anymore. You're right. That's old school. Right. Old school. And, and he reached across the lot. He reached across party lines because, again, the time he came up and you had to do that. If you wanted to get stuff, you'd, I, I will give you the classic example of this. Mike Ellis was a huge opponent of Miller Park. Now, he is the Senate majority leader in the mid-1990s with this Miller Park debate is, is going on. And if... If you are of a certain age, you remember it, but this is like 1995. So I mean, there's a lot of people who just, all you've known is Miller Park. You don't remember this used to debate. But if we roll back the clock, there, it was a bloodbath at the time. You know, you had County Stadium and the argument was we should not, we being the taxpayers should not be building a, a palace for, you know, millionaire owners and millionaire players. It was, it was a huge, huge fight. 
and it split. It, it wasn't across party lines. You had Milwaukee Democrats who supported it. You had lots of Republicans who supported it. You had Governor Walker who supported it. But you had lots of outstate Republicans and Democrats who didn't like it. And, and Ellis, who was the Senate majority leader, he was one of the people that, that didn't. Matter of fact, if, if after this happened, um, the last few years he was in office, when he would do interviews, he would say that one of his greatest mistakes was, was going ahead with Miller Park. He, he still thought Miller Park was a mistake. He thought, he thought the, the Selig family took advantage of the taxpayers. And, and that, and he'd say stuff like that. He just didn't care, you know, and that, but, but to, to the, to the last, you know, he thought Miller Park was a really bad idea. He voted against it three times. But why do I say the guy was a consummate deal maker? He was the, all right, the Republicans had the majority, but I think one vote at the state Senate at the time. Actually, the vote, and what happened was there were several votes where the thing lost. And Ellis could have essentially killed Miller Park as the Senate majority leader by saying, okay, we voted on this. It's it's dead. We're not bringing it back. He allowed the thing to come up for vote three different times. Ultimately, George Petak, who was a state senator out of Racine, changed his vote from no to yes and gave the yes votes the majority. But Ellis, at any point in time, could have killed it because you're the Senate majority leader. You could you know, you've got the power to control what comes to the floor and what doesn't. He let it come to the floor. Petak changed his vote. I ran into George Petak a couple months ago. Eric. Is that right? Yeah, he was at the. Um, I was the MC for the uh, Army, the, the Navy League dinner at the Wisconsin Club, and, and George was was in the office. No, he, he's working in Wisconsin now. Okay, but but it cost him. It cost him his yes, job recall, because yeah. he he he'd flip flopped on on that, but it got done. But Ellis, who was a loud and vigorous opponent of that decided that because the majority of the Republicans in his caucus liked it and because the governor liked it, even though he was personally opposed to it, he was going to let it go to to a vote, even though he kept voting no. And that's I'm not sure you see that nowadays. You oh, know? no, no. Uh, you know, it's a different time we live in now. It is. But I mean, he I mean, that's where he came to motion. But I. Um, again, he was just a lion. There was, there was no question. He was a lion of the state legislature. And at some point in time or not, Mike Ellis was one of those guys that actually also got talk radio because he never took it personally. He knew, all right, maybe he and I are on the completely opposite side of an issue on Tuesday. And, you know, Jeff, you're wrong. I disagree with you. But he never took it personally. And in part because he was smart enough to know also, well, maybe the next Monday there's going to be a different issue and we're going to be on the same side of of this. And I always kind of appreciated that. And You'd have these interesting arguments. Too much nowadays, people, it's just kind of black and white, you know, and you're either friends or you're enemies. And, and you know, Ellis, he just, he just called him like he seemed. He's going to be missed. He's going to be missed. And we should mention, I know someone may ask, he was the president. He was the Senate president most recently, starting in 2011 before he left office. Right, and the majority leader back during the Miller Park time, yeah, I think. Did. Right, exactly. But, I mean, he served I mean, 40-some years in the legislature because I think he was first elected to the Assembly. He was from the Fox Valley area. He came out of Nina. Um, so he was in the Fox. I think he was first elected to the Assembly in, I want to say, 70, and then in the state Senate since I, early 80s, 1982 or something like that. But just a lion in the state legislature. 
nature. And uh, if you if 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 you were involved in politics, either as a Democrat or Republican, or you covered politics in the state, you you came across Mike Ellis, and uh, he will he will definitely be missed. Okay, when we come back, do millennials have anything to complain about? Not that that would stop them anyway. Stick around. It's 118. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 121. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. All right. My producer, Gru, you are you are a millennial. You're kind of at the, the, the top end of the millennial phase. When you hear people making fun of millennials, millennials for certain stereotypes, do you cringe and say, my generation is being treated badly, or do you say, eh, we deserve what we get? You roll your eyes. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean you think it's unfair or that you deserve what you get? It's, you don't, okay, you don't, if you, so you're saying if you've got, well, that's a typical millennial answer. Gru says he doesn't blame himself for most of the issues. Yeah, okay, all right. It's not our fault that we're like this. All right. Well, here's the here's the story. There's a minor league baseball team. Um, it's the double A affiliate for the Tampa Bay Rays. They're called the Montgomery Biscuits, Montgomery, Alabama Biscuits. So minor league baseball teams have all these different promotions. You know, they, they do sort of weird sort of funny things to get people to, to come out to, to the games. So here is the latest promotion that they have rolled out. Montgomery business Biscuits Millennial Night. All right, here's what they say. This is this is the news release they put out. Want free things without doing much work? Well, you're in luck. Riverwalk Stadium will be millennial friendly on Saturday, July 21st with a participation ribbon giveaway just for showing up, napping and selfie stations along with lots of avocados. <laughs> so I mean, it, it's every stereotype that's there. You know, the millennials they, they they want that you want the participation medals, you know. Here we're going to give you just show up. You don't have to do anything. We're going to give you the certificate for that. We're going to have a station for napping. We're going to have a station for people who want to sell take selfies, and we're going to have lots of avocados. All right. So they send this thing out. Now they're trying to be clever, but it is. It, it's a millennial night. Well, needless to say, many of the millennials are extremely upset criticizing the team for its insensitivity and thoughtlessness. Um, let's see. A millennial, 21-year-old, says, I'm not going to go to it, so it didn't work for me. Um, more than targeting millennials, it's sort of targeting older generations who like to make fun of millennials and like to say that millennials don't like working and don't like caring for themselves. The team says, well, we're sorry if it offended anybody, but we're standing by Millennial Night and we're not changing anything about the approach. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, admittedly, this, this promotion tries to tie into every stereotype there is out there about the millennials. Hey, you want the participation thing just for showing up. You like to nap. You want to take your selfies. The avocado thing, I'm not quite sure where that comes from. But but you get the rest of the stuff. Millennials are fighting back. They're saying they are offended. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, here's the bottom line. Stereotypes are also often stereotypes for a reason. You know, you might say, oh, that's a stereotype. Well, sometimes there's a reason why things are stereotypical, right? Is 
do millennials get a bad rap or is this the era of the participation trophies and the all right we want to take the naps and we want to take the selfies did this did this minor league baseball team nail it in one or have they unjustly tired attard the entire generation 414-799-1620 i personally from the perspective of a boomer I think they've kind of hit the nail on the head. But I'm willing to discuss this. 414-799-1620. I also think it's funny as heck. 125, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 127, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Are we unfairly making fun of millennials? I happen to love this baseball promotion. Ben in Milwaukee. Hi, Ben. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Ben. Um, I'm 24. Okay, so I come from the millennial generation, I guess. Right, you want to, you're right, uh, but you don't want a participation trophy, do you, Ben? No, <laughs> okay. I never asked for it. You know, right? That was given to us by you guys, right? The <laughs> boomer generation. You guys are the ones that started this, not us. And now you're making fun of us for something that you guys did. So, so you're like my producer. You're you're blaming us boomers for this entire thing. It's 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 not the millennials' fault. You're just you you just got caught up in the the whole tidal wave, huh? I guess I guess I'm just hitting the ball back into your court. You, know, you guys are doing the whole joke on us at the at the baseball game, and I'm hitting it back, saying, "No, it was you guys." You know? Do you, do you think it, would, would this offend you? Would you, or do you think it's kind of clever? No, I think it's all in good fun. Right. That's it. Now, thanks, which is what I I mean. And again, the, the, these minor league baseball promotions. Part of the thing is they're just trying to they're they're trying to generate interest. They're trying to get people to talk about it now. I suspect people, I mean, otherwise, I mean, really, would we be discussing a promotion that the Montgomery Biscuits were having for Saturday night? No, but because they've hit on this idea. Mary in West Bend. Mary, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. I love your show. You get me through a lot of my lunches. I appreciate it. Thank you for Um, listening. I'm not offended. I would not be offended by this, but I get tired of people being, you know, offended (laughs) about every little thing. I'm a boomer. I'm the end of the boomers, so I'm not, you know, I was born in 63. Okay, so... I'm the end, okay? But I work for a living, and my children are considered, they're in their 30s, and I guess they're considered early 30s, and I guess they're considered um, millennials. They're at the high end of the millennial, right, yeah. Yeah, they're not like that. They work, they have master's degrees, they they work for a living, they don't live in their somebody's, you know, bedroom (laughs) and do nothing. And I, I work with some of these people that are millennials, and they wait for everybody else to do stuff. And my boss even says, we have to. We have to have you, you, and you do this because we can't get them to do that. So, <laughs> so you, I live this world. I'm not offended. I think it's all in good fun. I love all that stuff. But when do I get to be offended? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, 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 I don't. Maybe give it a few more years or something. I don't know. So you think that some of these stereotypes are justified for millennials? Not for your kids, but for some others. Right. I mean, I granted, I'm not going to lump everybody just sure. like I think some of the boomers aren't. You know what they're supposed to be either. So you know, it's just, it's just, uh, it's just. You can't generalize the whole the whole population, but there are many that just take advantage of this, well, and I see it every day in my workplace. And it's very frustrating when I'm doing twice the work and getting paid only once. You know, and they're getting paid the same amount. You know, and you're they not taking when they want. They they come in when they want and. You know, everything's an excuse, and, and the, the higher-ups will go, well, we can't get anybody else to work it, and, you know, <laughs> they lean on the boomers is what happens. Uh, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And you're not taking naps, Mary, I bet. Jake in Sturgeon Bay. Hi, Jake. You're in WTMJ. Yeah, hi. I'm, I'm, I would be on the uh, older end of the millennial generation, okay. so probably um, between millennial and Generation X. And 
I think it's hilarious. I think, uh, you know, I hear millennial stereotypes all the time, and, you know, I don't think it necessarily always applies to me, but I see some things that certainly would. And uh, I think people, I think it plays into the stereotype that millennials maybe can't take a joke right. if they're <laughs> offended by this all the time. Well, right. See, I, I actually think it's, matter of fact, I, I could see a lot of millennials wanting to go and just completely embracing it, you know, taking the selfies at the selfie station and things like that. I, 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 if, if I were in that age bracket, I would be rushing over there. To, I mean, look, every once in a while, I grew up in the disco era, okay? If they ever have this retro, I, I freely admit how stupid I looked in leisure suits and, disc, and, and you know, during the disco era. I admit that. But if there was a retro thing, I would go back and embrace it because I've always been able to laugh at the silliness that I've engaged right. in myself. Yeah. yeah, you got to be able to laugh at yourself. Um, right, fun. right. No, thanks for the call. Now that's it. If if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I, I tweeted out a link to this so you can check it out. But it's um the Montgomery Biscuits and Millennial Night. I love it. Everybody gets a everybody gets a ribbon just for showing up. One thirty six. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, my liner schedules didn't get updated. There is a couple things I want to remind people of. First of all. Our cream puff of Palooza. I hear a lot about this. It's something that I, I did for a number of years, and then just because of my work schedule, couldn't do for the last two years. But I am back the day before State Fair, August 1st. Myself, joined by my friend and colleague, Karen D'Alessandro, from our KTI Country Sister Station. We will be out at State Fair. I'm talk, trying to talk my producer, grew into getting up early and showing up. Eh, kind of, eh, eh, eh. You'll be fun. We are going to be there starting at 6 o'clock. We will be giving out six packs of cream puffs to the first 300 cars that come through the, the State Fair parking lot gate. You can line up ahead of time. Once we give out 300 six-packs, though, they're, they're, they're gone. But um, it's always a lot of fun. I know people line up early. That is going to be August 1st, which is that Wednesday, the day before State Fair starts, August 2nd. So we'll be there. It is Cream Puff of Palooza 2018. Looking forward to that quite a bit. And then, of course, we will be broadcasting live from the State Fair. I'm going to be there most weekdays, not all weekdays, but most weekdays of the State Fair. And if you're out there, please come by the fishbowl, stop off, and say hello. As, as people were saying earlier, this is my 20th anniversary. I've been here 20 years. Started 20 years ago um, on on this day, or actually maybe maybe Monday's the official anniversary. But they, they had a cake for me, and I do. I want to talk a little bit about that, and maybe the future of the show coming up in about a half hour or so. But one of the cool things o- over those 20 years is I've had a chance to interview a number of interesting people. Now on this show. I don't do a lot of interviews. That's just not the way I do the show. From time to time, you know, we'll have guests on. But um, unlike, and and some talk show hosts have lots and lots of guests, uh, and that's fine. That's the way they do their shows. I I don't. To me, I I like to do the show by me telling you how I feel about topics and then us discussing things. But, you know, some people have lots of guests. But every once in a while, I I will have somebody on. And from time to time... I will do not just the political interviews, but celebrity interviews. So you had a chance to talk to interesting people. Uh, Dennis Miller, I found to be fascinating. I, I understand that maybe this is, you know, awful to say, but uh, Bill Cosby, a number of years ago, I had a chance to interview Bill Cosby, and this was before all the stuff broke with him. But I, I found him to be a generous and a fun interview. He was coming to Milwaukee to give a speech, and I understand everything's kind of gone south for Bill Cosby, but he was he was a good interview. Most people I find to be good interviews. And then there's those interviews where it's just like pulling teeth and it's difficult. It's kind of like you want to say, 
we're doing this interview because you're coming to Milwaukee and you're trying to promote something and you're fighting with me. You know, every once in a while, you just kind of say, what? what's going on here? I had an opportunity once to interview Captain Kirk, William Shatner, and I think it is fair to say he was a difficult interview. I can remember we didn't do it live. We taped it. And it, it was just, it was just kind of a battle because he was, we, we just weren't connecting, I guess. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Maybe, maybe it was my fault or maybe he was tired or whatever, but it was just, he was difficult. And I remember after we got done, I just kind of looked over at the producer who was recording and I said, well, I'm kind of glad that one's over. Can we, can we cut this down enough to put it on the radio? Cause he was just very difficult. He, and I, 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 I like William Shatner. I loved his performance at Captain Kirk. He was in Boston Legal and all that stuff. Uh, but he's, he, and I've heard the reputations of could he be a prickly personality? And I found he was. <laughs> that was my, that was my dealing with him. And he could be the greatest guy in the world. I don't know. That was just one of my one dealing. Well, he and some of his fans are at war. And, and here's the story I want to tell you about. And then I want to discuss an aspect of this. He's 87 years old. He's 87 years old. And he's engaged in a in a Twitter battle with a number of his fans who are criticizing him for refusing to give autographs. Right now, here's the way the story on Fox News writes, Fox website is William Shatner fans don't even think about asking him for an autograph. It's not going to happen. The 87-year-old actor announced the news on Twitter this week when he replied to a user who warned others not to request a signature from him. You'll probably just get yelled at, the commentator claimed. Um, and Shatner decides to wade in on this. And he writes, how about you just don't ask me? Most who follow me know I don't give autographs in public. And at which point in time um, people said, well, what do you mean you don't give autographs in public? Don't you care about the fans? And his response was, look, here, here's the thing. You know, if I stop and I, I, he said, I'm just being honest. I don't do it because here's the deal. If I'm out in public and somebody asks me for an autograph and I stop and I sign the autograph, next thing I know, I've got 15 or 20 people who are surrounding me asking for autographs. So I just decide I'm not going to do it. And then he says, you know, what, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with being honest and, and truthful? Would you rather I lie and say I injured my hand playing tennis so I'm not going to be signing autographs? He said, well, you know, th- this is just how I am. And then a number of people respond by saying, well, this is a guy who obviously doesn't care about his fans and doesn't give a blank about people. And so maybe that should be fans, how fans react. If the guy decides he's not going to sign in public, maybe people, you know, should stop supporting him. And again, for his part, he says, oh, I'm just being honest with you. I, I don't do this. If I'm out in public and I stop and do this, next thing I know, I'm mobbed and all I'm doing is signing autographs. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I kind of found this intriguing because, I mean, candidly, the only reason William, Shat- William Shatner has made an extremely good living based on the fans over the years and it's you you want your fans to go out and see your movies and to watch your tv shows and things like that do you owe something to those fans and this idea that well i i'm not going to sign autographs i'm just telling everybody don't even bother asking i i don't give them is does that show a, a celebrity who's too big for his britches who doesn't give a blank about his fans 
Or is that a reasonable position for somebody in his position to take? Do you fault him for this? Fans are criticizing him, saying, hey, you're really being rude to us. He's saying, no, I'm not being rude. I'm being honest. i just not going to do it. 414-799-1620. Rude or within his, or, or just perfectly within his right? We discuss next. It's 144. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, William Shatner, Captain Kirk, in this, he's 87 years old. He's in this giant peeing match on the internet with a number of fans who are complaining. Apparently what happens is a guy came up to him when he was in public, asked for an autograph, and he, he, he told him, no, go away. And the guy went public with that, and now all sorts of people are weighing in. Shatner says, I just don't do that. He said, look, it's simple. If I'm out and about with my family or waiting for a plane and I do it for one person, all of a sudden 50 people are there. If I say no to number one or number 21, it's the same. I'm a jerk. So to save the time, the answer is no. There's a time and a place for everything, and conventions are that place. Um, of course, now what he doesn't mention is if you go to the Star Trek convention, you line up, he's getting paid $25 or $50 or whatever for the signature. If he does it in the airport, he's not going to be charged. But still, um, does this make him a jerk because he says he's not going to sign autographs? Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. I think that William Shatner has joined Steve Harvey in the preferred customer club of a jerk store. Okay. <laughs> because he's he's incredibly lucky to be where he's at. And if you're, if you're rich and famous, I think that a small trade off should be that you, you should sign a few autographs here and there, if, even if it is an inconvenience. What about his point that, hey, if I do it for one, next thing I know, I'm surrounded by all these people and, and I'm, in the, I'm in the waiting area at the airport and all I'm doing is signing autographs. I mean, does he have a point? I think that he, he can probably find ways to to get out of it in a tax in a more tactful way. Right. Or possibly maybe alter his schedule a little bit so he might not he might not have to deal with that as much. Got it. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Well it is interesting to me that as somebody I mean, you take a guy like William Shatner, you 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 don't have this career and you don't have all the play toys and you don't have all the nice things and you don't have this prominence unless it's for the fans. I guess the question is, do you owe the fans anything? And if somebody wants you to come up and ask you politely for an autograph, is it too much to do? 414-799-1620. Amy and Racine. Hi, Amy. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. First of all, let me say thank you for signing my shirt when I met you a while back. I really appreciate it. I still have it, and you were most gracious about it. So well, thank, thank you. you very much well, for I'm, I'm not, your time to do that. I, well, I, I, well, okay, it's interesting, but you, you go make your point, and then I, I will give you my perspective on that, but you are very welcome. <laughs> what, what, do you think the Chatner's being a jerk here? Well, okay. L- let me... Play devil's advocate, but let me tell you my circumstance. I am your age, okay. and when I was very young, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was Lou Alcindor, so that tells you how far back I'm going. Right. Um, I saw him in the airport. It's, he's hard to miss, and it was just me and my family, and I ran literally next to him, and I asked him for an autograph, and he just flat out looked at me and said, I don't sign autographs, period. That was it. That was the end of the conversation. And he kept walking, and I couldn't keep up with him. So what I have found is if I want an autograph, I either go on eBay or Mm -hmm. 
I have to go to some sort of a charity event or a signing auction or whatever and pay for an autograph because it's getting harder and harder, except for you, thank you, (laughs) to actually get an autograph from the celebrities. They seem, a lot more of them seem to be adopting this. So it might sound like a jerky response, but he's not the only one doing it. And playing devil's advocate, don't they also have a right to a private life. I know they put themselves in this position, but, you know, I've read some of the stuff online that some of the celebrities have written about their lack of privacy. And, I mean, you're a local celebrity. I'm a mini celebrity, right? For (laughs) lack of a better term, but you're a local celebrity. If I saw you on the street, I would know it's you because I've seen your picture on the Internet. Mm-hmm. But if you're eating dinner with your new bride, and congratulations, by the way. Thank you. I am not going to walk up to you. I actually met you at one of the car, put your... Okay, right, yeah, right, right, sure, exactly. One of our free ride giveaways over the years. Sure. Thank you. That was it. I met you there, but I came specifically to meet you. I did not put my name in for the car. I could mm-hmm. have cared less about the car. I came to meet you and to get your autograph. That was nice that you were available, but if I saw you and Fran out having dinner, mm-hmm. I certainly would not approach you. You're entitled to your time off. Well, interesting. Thanks for calling. I guess, see, I, look, I, 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 that's very kind of you. I, I am a mini, 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 mini celebrity, you know, Bill Shatner or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I mean, those are, those are big-time deals. I guess, does he have a – and here's it. I have a text from somebody who says, many performers are very private people and fans can be rude. If they want to be accessible, that's their prerogative. All they owe their fans are um, are decent performances. I – look, I, yes, I, I fans can – I. I, at these celebrities, I'm sure the people people can, in fact, be rude. One of the things I find, and, and maybe this is just our WTMJ audience, is when I interact with people, I, I'm amazed at how polite and how nice people are. And, and and again, I never get tired of somebody coming up and saying, hey, I've been listening to you over the years. I really like the show. That that That's great. And, and I, I just embrace that. If you see me in public, please come up and, and, and say hi. If you don't like the show and don't like me, well, okay, keep it to yourself. But, I mean, if, if you want to talk for a couple of minutes, I, I think that's great. I can understand why this is wearing on people. I guess I think he has a right to do it. I mean, Claire, he's 87 years old. He's, he's got a right to do it. At the same time, though, I do wonder if this was the first year of Star Trek and the guy was an unknown Canadian actor trying to make it, my guess is he would have been thrilled to have that woman come up to him and say, hey, I, I've just seen Star Trek. It's been on the air for, can I have your autograph? My guess he was been th- has, would be thrilled to do it. I do think sometimes people forget where they're from and believe, you know, for, forget where they came from. And and I think sometimes these celebrities would be would be it would be wise to just kind of remember that you know if somebody came up to Bill Shatner in 1966, my guess is he'd be thrilled. Okay, now he doesn't need the fans. You know he's all set. So I, I do think does he have a right to be a jerk? Yeah, I, I do think that you know sometimes you can accommodate people. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Zach and Racine. Hi Zach, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. I, I don't think I have anything new to offer, but I'm kind of siding with William Shatner. Okay. Tell I me why. 87-year-old, I, I think of my dad. <laughs> 87 is really old, and, and <laughs> in some ways, 
as an elderly person, give them some space and some privacy. Uh, and as a celebrity, he uh, okay. But I, I, I and I, I get that. But I think at the same time, I think he's probably been like that most of his career. If instead of eighty-seven, if he were fifty-five and had the same policy, would you feel differently, or do you still think, hey, it's his right? He doesn't have to sign stuff for the fans. Well, I still think that privacy. I see, you know, when you do see celebrities in public, they kind of get mobbed. Everybody wants the selfie uh, right. with them now and the autograph. And I think some of those people are being selfish. Because they want to share it on their social network or whatever right. to uh, bring a little attention to themselves. So right. give them some privacy. Okay, good enough. Thanks. Well, well, he's been really clear, and I, he's been really clear. He's like, don't even bother asking me because the answer is is going to be no. And I, I, I do. I guess you, you, okay. For see, for most of us, you think, oh, wouldn't that be cool that you're in a public place and there's enough people that know you and like your work. That, that they want to they want to wait to get your autograph and, and I think you know most people would think that's cool maybe once you attain a certain level of success and I haven't done that maybe you just get tired of that and it's like okay, I don't I don't need these people uh, and and so it, it's just more of a bother I, I do think for most people though and, and this whether it's your ball players or whether you're, you know, celebrities or personalities or whatever, I, I do think one of the nice things that people can do is come up and can you, you have people that are rude and, and, and it can be rude and overbearing and interrupting dinners and things like that. But, you know, people come up and say, hey, I, I enjoy your work or I, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan and, you know, can we say hi or get a selfie? I, I think that that five or 10 seconds or that 60 second, that interaction is something that lots of people remember for a, a long time, and I think it's I think it's a positive thing. And it's a good thing if William Shatner, at the age of eighty-seven, wants to say "screw you" to his fans, which is kind of what he's doing. Is it his right to do it? Yes. Does that mean I'm not going to watch Star Trek reruns? No. But <laughs> I think, I, and I do think it's interesting. Like I say, I, I remember my interview with him when he was coming to Milwaukee to do his one-man show. I, I <laughs> he did kind of strike me as the you know, hey, kid, get off my lawn kind of guy. And I think he's probably always been that way. But bottom line is, if you see William Shatner in the airport, stay away. He's not giving you the autograph. It's 156. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, who's producing the show today and always. I just violate. I just violated one of my rules. I, I have a policy. I never retweet stuff because if you look at the things that people get in trouble for, it, it's uh, it's a lot of times it, it's well like Roseanne Barr. It's stuff she says and tweets, but a lot of times it's things that people retweet or forward or whatever that. It, you know, contains all sorts of inappropriate stuff, and it's not even the product of visual thinking. And then they get in trouble. Look what this person retweeted. So as a general rule, I never retweet anything. I just made an exception to that. Um, and this is, I, I want to take a couple minutes, and this is sort of a personal segment of the program. I, I did because I, I retweeted. I don't think I can get in too much trouble for this. I made sure I had it. This was the the WTMJ thing from uh, the little party we had for me this morning. You know, with, uh, it's me and Gene Miller, and it's the cake. And there were all sorts of other people here. This is, um, they were talking about this earlier. This is my 20th, 20th anniversary at WTMJ. I think I, I think I officially started 
Monday, the, it would be Monday the 23rd. So this would be wrapping up 20 years. I, I came here, I was practicing law, I was filling in part-time at another radio station for a couple of years. I came here to TMJ originally part-time. Charlie Sykes was getting ready to take a sabbatical to write a book, and I... I, Steve Wexler, who runs our radio group now and the program director at the time, Rick Belcher, brought me in and I started, did Charlie's show for about a month, month and a half, and then was doing part-time stuff. And then in November, it, it turned into a full-time gig. So the, the 20th anniversary of the November show, the full-time thing, that's like November 2nd. But I, I've been here 20 years effectively today and everybody had a very nice party. Thanks for a great 20 years. Congratulations, Jeff. I just tweeted out a, a picture of the, the cake and all. You can follow me at uh, Jeff Wagner 620 But I, I want to just take a minute because I have to tell you that that's in this business, being at one place for, for 20 years, it, it's not unprecedented. It happens, but it doesn't happen often. And I wanted to just... Say thank you to everybody who's listened over the years and the sponsors and the people who've patronized the sponsors and all the incredibly talented people I have worked with, both in on-air capacities and behind the scenes. I, I just, I, I, I appreciate it just so very much. I remember when I first started here and at the time, you know, we, uh, Jack Baker had just retired and Gordon Hinckley was here and just people who were radio legends, you know, John Green and Jim Irwin and Rob Edwards. It was just, it was just such an honor to work at the radio station, the biggest stick in the state in the, the my hometown. And I remember to the, I just vividly, I remember 20 years ago sitting here, um, in the studio, it's, it's the in the same place. It's been reconfigured once, but I just remember how cool I thought it was to flip on the microphone and it, you're, you're on the air. And I will tell you this. It is the honest to goodness truth that 20 years later, I still enjoy that. I have that same feeling every day when I sit in here and we, you know, open the microphone at, at 1208. It's, that that sort of boyish awe <laughs> that I've had, and I keep thinking I, I've made a living for twenty years doing this, and and that's because you know so many of you have listened, and I understand that there's people who don't like the show but listen anyways because you want to send me the hate email. That that's okay. The, the bottom line is that that you're listening, and it, it's just it's been great. And I wanted to take an opportunity to say thank you for for the, those twenty years. I, I've really appreciate it. We did that last segment. I had this delightful lady who called and said she remembered showing up and getting an autographed sweatshirt or t-shirt or something like that. And that's that's great. It's been the interactions as we've kind of gone down this road together over the last 20 years. And I, I appreciate it. And I just appreciate, like I say, all the people that I've had a chance to work with, all the talented people who've come through Radio City. And, and it's not just the on-air people, the names you recognize, but it's it's the program directors. And it's it's the producers. I've only had five producers in 20 years. So, Gru, you and and interestingly enough, two of my former producers are still working here. Um, so that's that's always been, you know, just an outstanding thing. Um, interestingly, and I said this this morning, lately a number of people have been coming up to me and saying, you're going to retire. And I, I don't exactly know what that's meant. I don't know if it's been the idea that we're suggesting that you should retire or we're just kind of wondering or we want your cube or we, we want your space or whatever. And it, it is... Obviously, you get to a certain point, and I will be honest with you. I've, you know, 20 years to me has always been kind of a nice round number, and you always 
want to get off a train before people push you off a train. <laughs> you know, so I, I've, I've kind of been thinking about that. And I think if you're a regular listener, you know a number of things that I've gone through in my life over the last several years. I, my first wife passed away after a courageous battle with cancer a couple of years back and lost both my mom and dad in the last eight years. And you know, things you you get a, to a certain point in your life where you start realizing that you know life is short and you you want to be able to you know definitely enjoy stuff and you start thinking about all those things and the flip side is that i, I continue to love what i do I, I i just i just do and i'm just glad and fortunate and thankful that on a daily basis i have a chance to continue to do this so long story short without uh, burying the lead I, I admit that every once in a while you start to think about doing something different, but um, thankfully our, our general manager and our program director and the director of radio operations, Steve Wexler, who brought me here 20 years ago, that they were of the opinion that they think I still have something to say, and they didn't want me to kind of go off into retirement. And my wife, when I talked about that, she said, well, let me get this straight. If you retire, you're going to like sit around the house and you're going to – bet horses and play golf and watch TV, right? I said, that's pretty much it. She said, I don't want you to do that. So, I mean, thankfully, the fact that I still have um, having fun doing this and management here at WTMJ wanted me to continue doing this. I'm, I'm very pleased to tell you that without going into details, I am going to be doing this for the foreseeable future. So I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. And so I... I don't know that we're going to get another 20 years, but we're definitely going to get a, a while more together. So thanks for listening and thanks for all the kind wishes and thanks for being around over the last 20 years and hopefully moving forward. There's going to be a lot of stuff to talk about this election season through the next presidential election season. We'll do the politics and the heavy lifting and we'll also do the fun stuff that we typically do. So that's kind of the future of the program. I'm not going anywhere anytime soon and um, thanks to you. Appreciate you listening. It's 2.15. When we come back, speaking about not going anywhere, there's a story about ghosting employers. If you haven't heard that term, I will explain what it is. I will explain what's going on, and we will discuss. Stick around. 2.16, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, and Pop Culture Corner coming up in about 20 minutes. It's a good one this week. It's 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, crew, you know what the term ghosting means, right? You don't show up for a date, right? That That's one of, right, ghosting is one of those deals, and it, it's, it's a term which is sort of, be, be taking a new life because of the internet, but it's one of those things where maybe you're communicating with somebody, you're, 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 you're a friend of theirs, you're engaging in social media, and then all of a sudden you just disappear. You, you stop responding to text, you just disappear. It, it applied in the dating sense, it's you, you've dated a couple times, you're seeing somebody, and then you just kind of drop off the face of the earth. You have ghosted them. That's what the term means. Well, that that term is now starting to find a place in the workplace. There's a new survey out. Let me just read you a portion of the story. It was in USA Today. At Carports and More, based in El Dorado Hills, California, nearly half of the 65 job candidates scheduled for interviews this past month didn't show up. So people scheduled interviews, they applied for jobs over the phone or on the Internet, and then they didn't show up. At Voice Nation, an Atlanta area call center, a similar share of the 10 hires the company was making each month never came into work. 
In the hottest job market in decades, workers are holding all the cards and they are starting to play dirty. A growing number are ghosting their jobs, blowing off scheduled job interviews, accepting offers but not showing up the first day, and even vanishing from existing positions all without giving notice. Okay, now let's let's put this I mean, let's think about this. Okay, you have this one company, okay, they have they they've got sixty five people lined up for interviews for jobs. Nearly half of the people don't show up. At this other company, they hire 10 people. Five of them never show up for the first day of work, and they never hear from them again. And then you've got people who just do show up for work. They're working, and then you turn around, and they're gone, and you've never heard. They just disappear. They don't come in. They don't give notice. They don't say, I've had enough, boss. Take this job and do know you do you know what with it. They just take off. And they're gone. They, they've ghosted their employers in in those type of numbers. Now, as we've talked about a lot lately, most people are at what they call at will employees. You you know you don't have a contract. You can you can come or go if if you want. You can be fired at any time, but you can also you know you can walk in one day and say, "Hey, I'm done," and there's nothing the employer can do, or you can you know not show up. And there's nothing the employer can do. I mean, you've just kind of walked away from your job. But this is, I think, a relatively new phenomena. I I personally, I can't imagine accepting a job, saying, okay, I, I'm going to be there. My first day of work is scheduled to be next Monday. And then not showing up without telling the employer that you were not show up. I mean, I understand maybe you have second thoughts after you've accepted a job. Maybe it's not that great a job. You think, well, maybe I really don't want to do it. I could understand some people making the decision that they don't want to do it. But the fact that you don't call, you don't tell anybody that you're going to quit or the fact that the people just don't show up one day without telling their employer that they're quitting to me, it's almost mind-boggling. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is an open-ended question. What's what's going on? And if you are, in particular, if you're an employer, are you noticing this trend? I don't think that there's anything you can do about it. But is this is this a response to workers thinking that they've been messed over by their bosses for years? Or is this just plain rudeness and inconsiderateness coming out? 414-799-1620. We discuss in two minutes. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 223. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 225. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. I, I mean, I, I found this study to be really interesting. They, they are saying that in some of these businesses, they're, they're finding that the business goes out and hires 10 new employees. And, and five just don't show up for day one. They don't even show up to find out that they don't like the job. They, they just don't show up. And more employees and more employees are just walking off the job, no notice. They just don't come back. You know, it's called ghosting. What's going on? Jim in Pewaukee. Hi, Jim. You're on WTMJ. Hey, hi, Jeff. Um, this is not a new phenomenon. I, I've been in the recruiting industry, staffing industry for over 10 years. And this has been going on for as long as I have been in the business. We will, we will put people, we go through the interview process, the interview at the companies, and then they have their first day of work assigned to them, and they are no call, no show, and we cannot find out what happened to them. This happens every single week of that, that I have been involved. 
It's just a constant phenomenon, is it? Yes, it is. It's amazing how people just don't show up for their first day of work, but it is nothing new. I say, I get, I don't, I don't get it. What do you think is going on? I mean, if I, is it because they get another job or something? I mean, you go through all the trouble to get hired, you make that commitment, and then to not show up and not call, it's just mind boggling to me. Well, I will give you just an opinion, and that, that's as far as I can go. Uh, basically, um, they're on social release. And they have filled their, fulfilled their obligations to go through all this trouble. Okay. They, they just mark it down as another job interview. They can do it multiple times because they had several interviews okay. with one company, and it counts towards their job search. But heaven forbid, they're not going to show up for work because okay. they, don't, they don't have to. And this is what we found out from, from some of the people that, that we have Right, I mean, right, because to, to collect unemployment, for example, you need to have a certain, you know, you need to have a, a certain amount of job applications, so this kind of fills it in. Wow. Now, but, it, but, it, it, yeah. but it also affects their uh, their insurance and everything else that, that that they can collect from the government. Wow. Now, thanks, I mean, really- fr- from an employer, thanks for calling, Jim, from an employer perspective, it would drive you batty that you, I mean, look, I, I understand that, you know, maybe somebody gets into a job, you, you show up, you do it for two days, and you decide... I really don't like this. <laughs> I just, I just don't like this. I don't like the work, or I don't like the people I'm working with, or it's not for me. I, I understand that, and I. But at the same time, wouldn't you tell someone that I, I, I'm not coming back? I'm, I'm sorry, this isn't working out. That this idea that you're you're not going to show up, or that you're just going to walk off the job with no notice. I just don't understand where this mindset comes from. Robert in Milwaukee. Robert, you're on WTMJ. Hey. Thanks, Jeff, for taking hey, my call. Sure. I, I, I believe the previous caller took my thunder, but I'm an employer. Uh, we do a lot of interviewing. We work a lot with placement services. We go through a lot of different uh, steps to get the right individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get them in, and we think we have the right individual. We send them for a pre-employment test. We set up this orientation program, and absolutely right. They don't show up that morning. Matter of fact, the placement service doesn't even know where that individual is. So here, here the employment service that we're working with an agency, or I, as the employer, we don't know. We don't get a phone call. We call it, you know, missing in action or abduction or whatever you want to call it. Um, the ghosting, yeah, that's new new terminology, but the behavior is there. I mean, it, it, it's tough. And from your perspective, but from your perspective, Robert, it must drive you nuts because you've invested time and money in this process to, to bring somebody on and, and now you're, you're essentially back at square one. You've spent a couple of weeks maybe trying to find the candidate to fill this job. They don't show up and now, okay, you know, now let's let's re-rack the thing because we're back where we started. Absolutely, Jeff. And then when you sit with the candidate, you do ask them, do you have any other resources out there working with you to find another job? And if so, does this job meet your needs? And again, going back to the previous caller, he hit it on the head. If there is that criteria that that individual is, is doing, I try to draw that out of them, but it's tough. But right. the, they don't show up. And, you know, in this market right now, I, you know, I wish I had the opportunity to hire or to look at 10 and get 50 percent of them. Wow. In- interesting. Thanks for calling, Rob. See, that, that, that is the thing. And, and I, I get criticized sometimes when I say this. But the reality is we are very, very close to full employment. So on, on the one side, the good thing is. That means that anybody who ha- who wants a job can probably get one. 
Maybe it's not the perfect job. Maybe it's not the perfect location, but you can get one. Now, the bad side about that is, I guess, from an employer's perspective, the employees have a degree of of leverage. But this idea that you would, I don't know, apply for a job and then just not even have the courtesy of, of calling and saying, you know what? I thought about this over the weekend. I'm sorry. I, I, but I, it's, it's not the right mix or, Hey, after I accepted the job from you, I got a better job offer. I think I'm going to take this. At least then you're telling people this as opposed to just kind of disappearing, ghosting your employer. Do, can you do it with no consequence? I, I guess. Should you? Absolutely not. All right. When we come back, it's that time of the week. Uh, this is a, it's going to be a fun. It's going to be a fun and entertaining, uh, pop culture corner coming up in just a moment. 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is the portion of the week that we put aside the heavy lifting and we stop talking about President Trump and Vladimir Putin and things like that. And we, we, we have a little fun as we go into the weekend. And this is a big weekend. Lots of stuff going on in the Milwaukee area. You've got the Air and Water Show, uh, Port Washington Fish Day. I have promised I'm going to stop by Port Washington. That is on my list. I'm going to stop by, promise the organizers I would do that, and lots of other great stuff, country thunder going on, so lots of stuff. Hopefully the the weather, it sounds like it's going to be okay, just kind of you know hit and miss rain showers, certainly not a complete washout, but a lot of stuff going on, and to kind of lead us into that, Festa Italiana down at the lakefront, of course, to lead us into that, I, I do a segment called Pop Culture Corner where we try to have a little bit of fun. Uh, some weeks we talk about movies, some weeks we talk about TV, sometimes it's music, sometimes it's food. It's whatever kind of strikes me, kind of tickles my fancy in a given week that I, I hope might, might tickle yours. And as we were talking about earlier, I've just, you know, turned 20 years here at WTMJ and, uh, that coupled with a lot of stuff, I've been a little bit more introspective lately, you know, thinking about not just the past, but, you know, the future and where, where the future takes you. My, my wife, who has worked very, very hard her entire life, much harder than I've worked. She's, you know, getting ready to wind down a little bit too. And we're talking about, you know, things that, that we want to do. And, and she will take me aside and she will make me think about the future. And she'll say things like, Jeff, let's think about stuff we want to do. What, what are places? Tell me about something that's on your bucket list, a place that you want to go. And then let's, let's do it. And it's interesting because I've, I've never really kind of thought about that. I've never been this guy to make to make plans. I've always believed, kind of like what John Lennon used to say, that that you know life is what happens when you're making plans. I, I've I, I've always kind of just been, oh, this sounds like an interesting opportunity. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's do that, or whatever. But I've never really sat down and said these are these are things that I. This is a place that I really want to see while while I can can while I can get around while I'm I'm around. I, I, this is what I want to do. And it, so I've now, because she's been pushing me on these things, I've been trying to think of stuff. For example, this week, the, the British Open Golf Tournament is going on, and it, it, they rotate it from different courses. But I was, last night, it comes on at 1230 at night, and I'm, and I'm watching the second round of the British Open. And I said, you know, you, we were talking about bucket list stuff. I would really like to go to the British Open one year. I, I'd like to... I'd like to go to the British Open. I'd like to see that. A friend of mine went. I, I said, and I have over the last several years, I have gotten into the English Premier League soccer. I understand. I'm, I like baseball. I like football. But I, I've just 
you know, a few years back, I was going to the gym early in the morning on Saturdays, and because of the time difference, the, the only live sports that you could find would be soccer, and I got into it. So now I, I'm, I've become a soccer fan, and on Saturdays and Sundays, I will, early in the morning, I'll, I'll watch the English Premier League soccer games. And I, I said, you know, one of the things that I would love to do is I would love to go, you know, to Great Britain sometime, and I'd love to take in a couple of these soccer games, just because it looks like it's just complete craziness. And I, I'd love to see that. So my bucket list, if I was, then there's all sorts of things that are on it, but I'm starting to make it. And one is I'd love to go to the British Open. One is I, I'd love to go to Great Britain, and I'd love to see English Premier League soccer. So I thought, you know, with that in mind, and the summer vacation season coming up, we would talk bucket list places on Pop Culture Corner this week. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. What's that one place? Is there one place that you'd like to go that's on your bucket list? I've always wanted to see the Alamo. I've always wanted to go to Gettysburg. I've always wanted to see Alaska. I don't know. Whatever's on your bucket list. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What is your bucket list place and, and why? And there are, well, I was going to say there's no silly answers. I, maybe I'll be surprised, but I mean, it's just a place, some place that you would like to go. Some place that you would like to see. Maybe it's fun. Maybe it's historical. I don't know. Maybe it just brings back memories. I remember I was 16 years old and I was in Paris. I don't know. What's your bucket list trip? Your bucket list location to go? 414-799-1620. We will discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Like I say, I encourage you to call early because our phone lines tend to jam up pretty quickly during the segment, and I promise I want to get to as many separate calls as I possibly can. 414-799-1620. Pop Culture Corner this week. Your bucket list. The top place to go on your bucket list. We're back to discuss in just a moment. Gru is lining up the calls. It's 240. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. My my wife, God bless her, she's saying, Jeff, you are a creature of habit. We need to get you out of your comfort zone. And she's pushing me. Where are places that you've never been that you want to go on your your bucket list? Or maybe places that you went that you want to go back? And it's actually kind of been an interesting process going through the, the different things. And so I was watching the British Open this morning. I, I'd love to go to the British Open one day. 414-799-1620. What's on your bucket list? Let's start with Jay and Racine. Jay, good afternoon. Hey. Hi, Jay. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I would love to take a week or two and explore the Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. Have, have you ever been to D.C.? I haven't been to D.C., and out of everything there, that's the thing I want to see the most. Oh, you got to go. You, you, you owe it to yourself. Uh, I, I love Washington, D.C., and, and you're right. You can go to the various Smithsonian. You can, you can get lost in the – you go to the Air and Space Museum or you go to the Museum of you know, American History. You, you can get lost in D.C., and you could easily spend a week there. Yeah. No, great. No, th- I, I, inc- I mean, that's, that's – I, I love – I love D.C. I don't get there as much as I used to, but that's that's a great bucket list choice. You cannot go wrong with that. Let's talk to, um, okay, let's see, Dana in West Bend and Brown Deer. Hi, Dana. You're on WTMJ. Hi. How are you doing? Real well, thank you. Okay, what's on your bucket list? Well, I'm actually going to be fulfilling uh, three things off my bucket list <laughs> all in one shot. Okay. 
in in uh, two weeks, I'm going out to Colorado because I always wanted to see the Rocky Mountains. Right. And the second one is I always wanted to go to Red Rocks Amphitheater. So I'm a huge music fan. And right. The third one is I've I'm a huge Joe Bonamassa fan, so I always wanted to do a meet and greet with him. <laughs> I'm going to get to do all three. In uh, in two weeks, we're going to meet my wife. We're going to be spending about a week out there, and I'm really looking forward to it. Isn't that cool? I, I've never been to Red Rocks. I've heard it's just a great spot, a great venue to see a show. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Your, your screener apparently has been there and said it's really, really cool. That's what I've heard. All right. Some place you got to see. Absolutely. No, that, that, that's great. And that, it's, see, that's why it's, it's great that you have an opportunity to do that. Uh, your bucket list. Rachel in Milwaukee. Rachel, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi, how are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, what's on the place you just got to get to? <laughs> I want to go to Bali and stay in one of those huts out over the water <laughs> that has the trap door where you can swim and fish right from your lodging. Uh-huh. And I would love to go back to Cinque Terre in northwest Italy. Okay, have you ever been to Bali before? No, I have not. Other places over there, but not Bali. Yeah, a friend of mine went to uh, Tahiti, and I, I think stayed in a place kind of like what you're describing. Um, I, I know I've I've just seen pictures of them and stuff. It looks that looks spectacular. A, a long way from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I would imagine. Yes, it is a very long flight. Uh, well, I hope that you don't wait and you start checking it off right away on your bucket list stuff. No, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, that's kind of the that that's kind of the thing. It, it's just. You know, you just, just kind of do that. I mean, I, I've I've been very blessed in my life that I've gotten a chance to see all sorts of all sorts of stuff. And there's, I, I mean, Steve Scafidi, who does the, the show right before mine. You know, he's he's in Europe now, and he's he's at the, in the south of France. You know, we did a listener trip to the south of France about ten fifteen years ago. One of the most beautiful. I, I'd love to go back. I'd love to take my wife back to to Nice and to Monaco and, and things like that. But there's all sorts of other places in the world to see. As well, let's see. Uh, Greg and Appleton texts his bucket list: hike the Appalachian Trail. Huh? Very, very cool and very, very ambitious. Um, here's another one. Um, I was in Tuscany a few years back. Stayed in an ancient castle, converted into a hotel. Would love to go back and spend a considerable amount of time there. The countryside was absolutely breathtaking. Um, uh, Cecilia. And a number of people are saying, by far, New Zealand is at the top of their bucket list. Let's talk to Jake in McGuanago. Jake, you're on WTMJ. You just said it, man. I, uh, New Zealand is probably one of the most beautiful countries that I've seen pictures of. And if I could, I'd love to retire there one day. Okay. Um, but to be honest with you, the place I would love to go the most would be the moon. <laughs> now, I'm only saying that because you have cell phone companies out there. That I've heard rumors uh, sometime in the near future, if you pay some money, they'll actually take you. Huh. Uh, interesting. Well, I th- thanks for. I mean, I, I guess my advice would be, I, I'd, I'd work on New Zealand. Um, that's I, I've I've never I've never been there, but I have friends who've done the New Zealand, you know, Australia tour, and they just absolutely rave about it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Okay, uh, here's a text. Uh, the baseball tour, like Gene Miller does with his with his kids. Here's another one. Joel's in Manasha says, I, I'd really like to see the Colosseum in Rome. Cool to see where the uh, gladiators did battle and to see how Roman construction looks in person. I, I've been to Rome once. I, I, I'm glad I saw it. I saw the Forum, saw the Colosseum. It is spectacular. Got a chance to see the Sistine Chapel. If you get a chance to do that, it's just outstanding. I'm not sure I feel an overwhelming desire to go back, but, uh, 
but definitely it was incredible. A number of people are texting me saying they want the they'd love to see the pyramids of Egypt. How cool would that be? 414-799-1620 makes my, makes my bucket list of seeing an English Premier League soccer game seem like uh, really playing second fiddle. Let's talk to Danny in West Dallas. Danny, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Real well, thank you. Your bucket list, the one place you'd love to go. Well, if you remember the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind, uh, the big problem at the end of the movie, that's Devil's Tower. Yep. In Wyoming. Right. Uh, I went, I'd like to go there only because I have a dream of doing what Richard Drivers did in the movie and eat at the diner that's right at the base of the thing (laughs) and make a big pile of mashed potatoes and go, this means something. (laughs) You want to, you want to interact. Thanks for going. You want to recreate that scene in the movie. That's interesting. All right. Here's one of our texts. Wimbledon. That would be cool. I'm not a, I'm not a huge tennis fan, but that, I think that would be extremely cool to be able to uh i mean if you're a tennis fan that would be absolutely tremendous for an opportunity to see okay 414-799-1620 let's see jeff i've been to the boundary waters in northern minnesota twice i would love to take my wife there for a week the combination of being unplugged and surrounded by nothing but nature is very very relaxing my um one of the, the places on my wife's bucket list is is hawaii She's never been to Hawaii. I was there a number of years ago, and I, I would, I, I would love to go back, and I would love to go there with her. So that's, I think we're going to hit that at some point in time. Um, Terry in Hartford. Terry, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. We just talked about this this morning. Okay. He wants to golf in Scotland. Okay. <laughs> he, he talked about how it started there, and I don't know, hitting a ball with with feathers or something. Right. But anyway, he wants to go there, and I want to go to Norway. I found out I have DNA that says I'm Norwegian. <laughs> I want to go to Norway. <laughs> well, okay, well, so you, you should be able to accommodate both. I mean, once you're over in Scotland, just you know, scoot on up to Norway. You can take care of both, get both of those things crossed off your list. Exactly. No, that thanks. But that's, I mean, look, and I understand for some people it's fun to dream, but at the same time, I, I think one of the things that happens for for a lot of us is that you get so caught up with the the day to day stuff and just trying to deal with all the things like I got to pick up the kids and you know we got to get dinner on the table and we got to get to work and we got to do this and got to do that that sometimes we we sort of forget about all the things that we think we'd like to do. And I, I, I get that there's financial issues and things like that, and that's why it's fun to dream. But I, I love these kind of topics because I've really, I am I am starting to focus a little bit more on, all right, let, let's get serious. What are some of the places that you'd like to go, really? And then, you know, get on with, with doing it while your health holds up and, you know, while it works. 414-799-1620. John in Kenosha. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, John. Um, well, one of the places I'd like to visit is Atlanta because uh, our family and friends down there. Okay. We're going there in two weeks, and uh, besides seeing our friends and family, we're going to be touring around Atlanta, seeing the state capital. Okay, John, I'm sorry. i got to let you go because there was something going on with the phone, but your, yours was, was Atlanta. I, I, I love Georgia. I mean, Georgia is just... Georgia is a great place to visit. I always thought if I stayed in the U.S. Attorney's Office, sooner or later I tried to get myself transferred down to Savannah, which was uh, they had a satellite office there. I I love I love Georgia. Um, let's see, C.J. in Hales Corner. C.J., you're on WTMJ. 
Yes, Jeff. Uh, having raced at Sebring, Daytona, and Indianapolis, I want to race at Laguna Seca in Monterey, California. Oh, Monterey! <laughs> have you have you been have you been to Monterey? No, I've never been there. Oh. But and that's the point. I right. uh, when I go, if I have the opportunity, I like to go places and and uh, drive the racetrack that are there or at least visit them and that's one uh, the there's a turn there called the corkscrew which is iconic and i'd love to drive a car through the corkscrew it's um no th- thanks well thanks i will tell you this um that that part of california the the you know the the monterey peninsula and all now i'm not i'm not a race car fan but i have matter of fact in my den at my house my my wife, I had this picture. She got it reframed. It's now up on the wall. It's me teeing off on the 18th hole at Pebble Beach. I, I had an opportunity to play there once. I don't know that I feel an overriding desire to do it again. But if you're a golfer, it's it, it's as close to you know golf heaven as you can possibly get. And I, I just had an absolute blast doing that. And we've got the, this memory from it. And <laughs> like I say, my wife had the, this picture reframed, and now it's up on the wall. And I think, oh, that's cool. <laughs> and now. My swing looks pretty good. You don't want to know where the ball went after I hit it on the 18th tee, but it it, it looks it looks like I'm getting ready to hit the heck out. Actually, it did go pretty far. I, I had a pretty good round back there back in the day. Okay, this was fun. Bucket list conversations. Lots of great ones coming in on the text line as well. If you get a chance, just just do it because, like we were saying earlier, you know, life is what happens sometimes when you're making plans. Sometimes it's like, okay, let's do this. This sounds like fun. We don't want to be talking about how we missed that opportunity somewhere around, uh, you know, years and years from now. All right. Speaking about not wanting to miss an opportunity, John Mercure is in the house. We'll find out what he has on his mind in just a moment. It's two fifty-five. This is Jeff Wagner.